Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to My Millennial Property. I'm Glenn James and we are with... John Pigeon. Now, one of the biggest questions that a property investor may ask themselves is cash flow or capital gain. Mm, capital growth, yeah. So, which is interesting because maybe an investor who is new might actually not know these questions to ask. No, I think most people you speak to focus on capital growth. Exactly, because that's the default. Yeah, it is the default. So, mm-hmm. they hear the great stories of, I bought it for 400000 and now it's worth a million dollars and... And logically speaking, well, that yes, that's a six hundred thousand gain. Could you create the same amount of cash flow in that time? The answer is no. Mm. So that's what we're going to chat about today. Mm. But before we get into it, thank you to Sean Wellman from Wellman Finance, who is one of the show partners at My Millennial Money Property. Now, tell us, John, about the phone call that you had with Sean yesterday, and why you think it's a benefit of using a qualified mortgage broker, particularly Sean, if you're local to Melbourne. Mm. And it happens quite consistently. Unfortunately, for the uneducated who don't deal with a mortgage broker, they would probably never see it. And it's when we're comparing two lenders for a certain individual and they do a servicing calculator against two lenders and quite often there's up to a hundred, maybe even more, thousand dollars difference of borrowing capacity from one lender to the other. Mm. And in this case yesterday, it was like 80,000 difference. And it was the difference of two majors. So it wasn't a, a um, second tier lender either. Yeah, so I guess that's why it is important to contact Sean Wellman and the team from Wellman Finance because if you go to a bank or direct to a lender, mm. you might only get one bite of the cherry yep. and you might not get the deal that you need. No. Nope. So... What do most people want, do you think, when it comes to investing? Do they want the cash flow or do they actually want the capital growth? Yeah, I'm going to answer that in two parts, if I may. I think capital growth is definitely what people are after. Um, If you ask 99% of the public, the answer would be capital growth. However, they're most fearful of the cash flow of holding the property. So they're two very different strategies, but both of them need to be respected equally, if that makes sense. Mm. So if we just talk about you and your journey of investing, Mm. what have you chosen? Have you chosen to go for a property that, you know, we're buying in at a really flat market and it's got upside so I can scoop a heap of equity or get the capital growth out of it? Yeah. Or are you doing the yield play? No, for me, it's always been a look at the, the equity and the capital growth and and trying to not necessarily pick the market every time, but just monitor the market to know that there's good upside in the short term, but also over the long term, we'll get some consistency as well. So it was definitely 
for me early doors it was definitely capital growth versus over over cash flow but i think understanding which we'll talk about today understanding the the importance of the the cash flow of your overall portfolio especially if you're holding five six seven properties and then interest rates rise or as a couple of them vacant at any one time mm-hmm. cash flow plays a, a big part yeah and what like when would it be appropriate to buy like if if someone had two properties when would it be appropriate to buy a third one that is maybe in a regional center mm. that is that does not have much upside for capital growth like yeah. when, when might someone do that and and it's and it's a bit of a broken record every every time it it depends on the individual situation like a low income earner and when i say low income earner in australia we're probably talking sub seventy thousand dollars per annum we really need to put a lot more of the focus on cash flow than we would normally so that's one part of it is understanding the income of the individual um, or, or the potential upside of any annual income going forward and then second part of it is if we've got some low yielding properties already that maybe we were chasing some capital growth, that next property probably needs to have a focus on cash flow because of that in the event of any uncertainty, vacancies, interest rates. So where like if someone is interested in finding like a high cash flow properties mm. as opposed to high yield in terms of capital growth properties, yeah. How are they looking for those properties? Mm, good question. So traditionally in, in Australia anyway, the top, the, the capital cities and the, the major populated um, cities or, or locations, the, the yield will not be as high as they would be in a, in a lower, smaller regional location, right? And that's just simply because the property prices have, have gone ahead and the, the rents haven't chased um, alongside it so they've they've lagged behind a little bit so generally speaking and very generally speaking this is the smaller the town the higher the yield right so you go and buy a, a home in a, a location that's maybe a hundred thousand dollar purchase it may rent for two hundred dollars a week yeah right. and i think it's important if you are new to the whole property world and probably some of these terminologies when we generally say yield in the investing world, whether it's property or shares, we're not ever really talking about capital growth or capital gain. No. It is year-on-year yield return. Cash flow, yeah. Cash so flow. when we talk gross yield, and this is what I'm referring to, first of all, gross yield is really the purchase price against the annual rent. Yeah, so for example, if I go $500 a week times 52 Yep. Gives us $26,000. Yep. Divided by, divided by 480000 mm-hmm. as a purchase price. Yep. That equals 5.4%. Gross yield. Gross yield. Yep. So mm-hmm. in the property world, do you work on gross yields? Yeah, it's a, it's a great starting point to know that if that's 5.4% gross yield, that's great, but the person's individual situation now comes into it, right? Because... 10 people could buy that same property and that gross yields 5.4%. But 10 people have also now got different annual incomes, different tax deductions in their own life. Mm. And 
different interest rates with the bank. So then comes in the net yield once we've taken into account all expenses and running costs. That's right, which could, the net yield could vary depending on your situation. Yeah. But I think when you are shopping for properties, you're not individually looking at each property and working out the net yield on each property. You just no. want to headline what's a good gross yield. That's it. And, and that's where... Because everybody's got maybe property management expenses. Everybody's got rates for the property which yeah. need to come off. Yeah, and that's where I sit down with a client and say, righto, our aim gross yield is 4.5%, for example, because I already know what their annual income is and their, their financial situation, basically. Mm. Yeah. So in terms of just broad brushstrokes, mm-hmm. a property that you would consider capital growth, I'm investing in this property just for capital growth, Yeah. are we still getting a yield of... or 4% or is it generally going to be a lower yield because there is more up it's a maybe it's about to be a booming market yeah so there's that trade-off with it's lower yield I know that but I've Mm. got it a really good purchase price and I think it's going to bang in a couple of years yeah so as listeners may know I focus on the top 30 cities by population around the country Um, a lot of the top five have had some great growth in the last four or five years so with that means that the yield has dropped. What I could have bought five years ago for 500,000 is now a million dollars. The rent has maybe gone from $400 a week to $600 a week. So mm. the yield has dropped considerably because of that. Yeah, so simple math says if the purchase price is higher a year later and the rent's the same, yeah. by default, your yield is going to be lower. Correct, yeah. Because we, you've got to measure it against how much that asset cost. Cost to buy in the first place, yeah. So uh, so in general, like in today's markets, we can go and find 45 to 5% gross yields in good solid locations. Would that be in the middle of Sydney or Melbourne? Probably not. That's probably closer to three and a half four percent right now the the thing working in people's favor at the moment is uh, the cost to lend money the interest rates are a sub four percent for owner occupier sub three percent so the holding costs are a lot less which means the yield net yield doesn't need to be as high Mm. and and that's what i mean net yield doesn't need to be as low do you mean net sorry well yeah, you, you would you, have a, a higher net yield with lower borrowing costs. Yes, that's right. But the, And the weird thing is, and this is why you can't compare the properties against your own situation when looking, because if someone purchased the property with cash and didn't have any yeah. loan, their net yield's going to be higher anyway. Correct. Yeah, and that, everyone's situation is going to be different. But I, I suppose coming back to the capital growth versus cash flow argument, in a lot of cases... Um, it may need to be a combination of both, but looking at your long-term situation is key to know that if, you, if you've if you got two properties and you want 10 properties, mm. then you've got to put a stronger focus on cash flow because the servicing to the banks will start reducing if your yield's too low to begin with in those few properties. Yeah, and I guess if if you're... Like if you don't want to be the wolf on Wall Street and buy everything that's bloody got legs and yeah. a door and a wall or whatever, the strategy might be in your world, I'm just going to buy a couple of brand new homes mm. in regional centers, mm. principal and interest, and just totally pump the mortgages over the next 25 years. And then I've got, I can own them faster because the yield might be higher. 
Yeah, the holding costs are yeah. less, aren't they? Yeah. Um, and I think, like, there's, um, there's a lot of books out there that say, well, 50, 100 properties, 200 properties. Like, the, it's a headline statement mm. and created a book out of it. Like, Which, uh, they always piss me off, those books, because it's like, <laughs> 100 properties. Yeah, but you lever- leverage up the wazoo, just sell all the bastards and have 12 unencumbered. Yeah, well, I mean, it's... <laughs> Without any debt. You've just got to ask what for, what, what yeah. is the strategy? So totally. if I want to make 100 grand a year cash flow out of property, I probably will need 20 or 30 properties. Mm. Um, so the transaction costs on 20 or 30 properties and the maintenance and the, and the you're basically running a full-time business to Well, I was going to, to say, like, if you were going to have 12 properties in your mm. portfolio, you've got to throw 60 grand a year at a property manager to yeah. manage it don't yeah. you or somebody to do all your admin yeah and unless unless it's like a game monopoly where you you own the whole street and you you're full-time manager yourself but i uh, actually couldn't think of anything worse yeah well and and it's interesting like some people really love that stuff totally, like, um, totally. and they're hands-on and they love mowing the lawns and all that sort of stuff but um yeah in, in generally speaking if you're listening there saying well which one do i choose I think capital growth in general will create long-term wealth faster mm. if you can nail it. Yeah. Cash flow will pay the bills, um, but keep a close eye on cash flow all the way through because it only takes uh, half a percent interest rise across your whole portfolio you. and your vacancy rates um, increase and little things like that for you to be affecting your lifestyle. And you want it to enhance your lifestyle, not reduce it yeah and i think so i've just thought of two examples one example where you might buy for capital growth which could be a rent vesting strategy yeah we're renting where we want to live we're going to do our investing elsewhere mm-hmm. then in 10 years time we might sell that to buy where we want to live yes so it might be just this leapfrog strategy to try and accrue as much wealth to do that yeah whereas if you already own your house and you want a long-term buy and hold for the property, I think the yield discussion would come into it. And yeah. I guess like the perfect storm is to get both. Yeah. Yeah. Look, if you can, if you can nail capital growth in the first two or three years of owning it, get some consistency over the time after that, as well as the property holding, uh, costing you nothing to hold, then... So, okay. Gold. Here's a question. So just that strategy, if it was the 26 grand a year divided by... 500,000, mm-hmm. for example, that's 5.2%, yeah. right? If three years later, so I'm just going to write that down, 5.2%, three years later, that property increased to 700,000. Yeah. The yield on the property is now 3.7%, the yeah. gross yield. Yeah, provided that the rent hasn't gone up provided, in that time. Yeah, so yeah. just... But I, I would still actually say... The, I would say the market gross yield is 3.7%, mm. but your yield is still 5.2%. Yeah, correct. You bought it three years ago. So yeah. today's market yield has nothing to do with it. Exactly. Um, now, 20 Which years- is interesting because I guess that all that to say is in that situation, and I don't think you would be this maybe, I won't say dumb, silly, or naive. <laughs> yeah. I would hope you're not naive and, and particularly you're listening to this. 
you know, if you made 300 grand mm. or 200 grand yeah. in a couple of years, you're not going to go, well, the property's not yielding anymore. It's 3.7 gross yield. It's a bad property. Yeah. No, no. No, it's it, a good bloody property. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And it's a gross yield when you bought it. So it's not analyzing it every year on year. It's, it's what you paid for it. Now, when, when I started investing and acquired a few properties, I was back then, which is a little bit different because interest rates were different and, and wages were different, et cetera, because that's when I was really young. Mm. The, my aim was to have a portfolio with a gross yield of 6%, mm. right? But that was based on when I bought the properties, not what it was if I was to buy them now and rent them out. Totally. So, yeah, that was just my little aim that I had when I was um, acquiring a few properties just to maintain that in the event of any sort of vacancies, uh, any sort of interest rate rise that I had a little bit of buffer there. Um, and and that, that's the other point is making sure that we have got property buffers in our life just like we have emergency buffers so that in the event of those things happening that we have got a little bit of leeway there um, because the most common reason I see people selling property is because they couldn't afford to hold it because of something that had gone on in their life totally totally Mm. so just to bring the episode home because this this whole like conversation it's mainly instead of property it's more of an investing play are you investing for capital growth or for yield right Mm -hmm. we've got a property fictitious for example of 5.2 percent i'm looking at a an income fund which is an investment of and it could be banks because banks might have a five and a half percent six percent yield yeah like so for example at the time the banks are basically 6.4 percent yield Mm -hmm. okay so this is where the wealth can be made on the share market when you buy stocks when if the they fall through the floor yeah. you go in and then you're still getting a banging yield yeah so i'm looking at a fund here the last 10 years eight percent yield 7.6 percent yield last three years hmm. last one year 10 percent yield so it's just interesting but the, i guess yeah. it's harder to use leverage to buy equities yeah and it's, it's not an totally, equity podcast but no. i just thought i would i was just thinking about yields looking at the difference between shares and property mm. Yeah. Because as an investor, you know, if you've got 500 grand to invest, you should be going, what's my asset class? Yeah, well, and that's the difference. And it may be as for another time, but mm. when, you, when you've got 500 grand to invest, that's assuming that you're buying property because you can leverage at 80 or 90%. If you transfer that over to shares, you can't go and buy 500 grand worth of shares because you can't leverage that high in well, most cases. Yeah, I was just talking if you had 500 grand cash, for example. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah you sure. want to go, what do I want to do? But yeah, anyway, absolutely. it's probably beyond the scope of this episode. But it's just an yeah. interesting, it's an interesting topic. And yeah. I think as a property investor, mm. the first thing you should do, and I always do it when there's a property for sale and, the, and they go, yeah, it's 500 grand and they're like, and you ask the real estate agent, oh, how much will it get for rent? Yeah. And they're like, 490. Yeah. And then that's cute. And then I work the numbers out. Okay, if I got 420 because the real estate's full mm. of it, mm. the first thing I do is work out gross yield for the property. Yeah. Because if it is under 4%, I'm personally thinking, is this going to be right for me? Well, generally speaking, if it's under 4%, 
is going to be costing you money to, to hold out of your pocket um, after all the rent and the tax deductions are yeah. taken into account. Is there a magic gross yield mm-hmm. number, do you think, for holding costs in this climate? I, I'm probably looking in today's climate in the last couple of years, anywhere between 45 and 5% mm. is ideal. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's the good thing. You can go and get that comfortably. You, mm. you don't have to go scratching and digging. And I think that's, it's just a really good exercise if you are new to property investing. When you're having a look on realestate.com or domain.com, at properties, look at the purchase price, mm. look at the the rent times the weekly rent times 52 divided by the purchase price. Yeah. And that will give you, and then you might press times 100 in your calculator, it will move the decimal point. Yeah, percentage, yeah. But yeah, I just think it's a really good exercise that you need to be doing the first thing you do when you're looking for a property. Yeah. And, and I think I'll go back to the start of the conversation. The, the most of the fear is around how much will it cost me to hold and mm. the fear of it costing me. Mm. So get that worked out. But if your focus is actually creating capital growth, then focus on that number one mm. with the cash flow in mind. Yeah. Um, but if, you fo- if your focus is on getting 50 grand a year in cash flow from your property portfolio, then you will need to acquire probably lower cost-based properties that are renting at a six, seven, eight percent yield mm. in smaller locations. You know, we need to probably, and I might do it when I'm in Melbourne, maybe do an episode with Welly. Mm. Shout out, Sean, show partner, uh, about how the banks. If I've already got two investment properties, mm. what the banks look at if I want to buy a third. Yeah, and he's all over that yeah, stuff. Yeah, maybe we'll do that because yeah. I, I talked to John earlier on the phone today, folks, and I was just like, I'm going to catch up with Welly and we'll do mm. a, an episode. Mm. So I might do that and put it on this podcast or the main one yeah. I don't know but it's good, just interesting good planning mm. alright mm. great right. that's a good I don't know if we've solved much but I just think it's always an interesting discussion yeah good chat mm. mm. alright All right. see ya bye special thanks to Wellman Finance our podcast partner Sean Wellman and his team are available to coach you through your property journey even if it's your first time With expertise in investment and home loans, they're in your corner providing education and support as you take each step. For more info, check out wellmanfinance.com.au forward slash m3. If you want to really turn up your property, education and information journey, make sure you check out the Solvair Property and Finance Academy. This is an amazing online resource that John has put together. It's to empower and to give results to people who are either first-time buyers whether for their home to live in or an investment property, or if you're a seasoned property investor, this online academy is for you. Check out the link in the show notes. It will change your life if you let it. If you're after personal financial advice, this podcast is not for you. But if you do want a financial advisor or mortgage broker to talk with about your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and we'll put you in touch with one of our trusted professionals. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.